0: Welcome everybody, this is Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for raising complex kids. And I am really excited to welcome a new guest and colleague of ours today, Dr. BJ Fogg. BJ, welcome.
1: Hi, Elaine, thanks for having me.
0: I am so thrilled that you're here and I'm really excited, I told him when I met him I'm really excited he said yes. Uh Uh, Let me tell you guys about, about this fabulous guy who's known by Fortune Magazine as the new guru guy you should know. Right um, so dr. B. J. Fogg teaches good people how behavior works right that 's our realm, so they can create products and services that that really are a benefit to people every day around the world so he's at his Corey's a behavior scientist with a lot of experience in innovation and teaching. He's at Stanford University and runs a research lab. And then he teaches his models and methods in graduate seminars and and in in other capacities, from from what I can tell, because I've seen some of it as I've begun to explore a little bit. Um, He wrote a book, Persuasive Technology, about how computers can be designed to influence attitudes and behaviors. And and at the core, and the reason I've invited him to, to talk with us today. He's really an expert in behavior and behavioral change and what's underlying behaviors and how people can really learn from from the science to make simple changes that have profound impact in their lives. I I recommend his TED talk, which I thought was fabulous. Um, You can find more about him at bjfog.com or tinyhabits.com, we'll get back to that later. Um, And mostly he's just a really charismatic, dynamic teacher who's got something really valuable to teach that I think is a great message to reinforce the approach that we teach at Impact ADHD about the coach approach. So welcome BJ, I'm so glad you're here. And we're going to talk today about Taking AIM, Parents Can Solve Big Problems yeah. with Tiny Changes. So get us started.
1: Great. Good. Hey, where do we start? I I I have so much to share and uh, guide me and how can I make this the most valuable for the people listening?
0: Well, so let's talk with why tiny changes.
1: Well... A, a, a few reasons. I mean, 10 years ago, as a behavior scientist, I certainly wasn't expecting to create a new method for changing behavior. It mm-hmm. kind of fell out of uh, my academic work, the conceptual work in behavior change. But I have learned that t- making tiny changes is easier to do than big changes. Huh? It leads to big changes and There's more reasons, but I'll fast forward to what I think the kicker is. The more stressed out you are, the busy you are, the less time you have, the more appropriate the tiny habits method or tiny changes are to your life. Like if you're stressed out, if you have no time, you're not really going to be able to do the big ones. So you're just left with a tiny baby steps approach.
0: And so there's science behind this baby step approach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's the research tell us?
1: Well, my behavior model, so it started actually with my behavior model, which is essentially this. Behavior happens when motivation to do a behavior comes yep. together with the ability to do the behavior and a prompt to do the behavior. Those three I,
0: I'm going to ask you to say that again because all three of those are so key for this audience.
1: I'll give you the keywords and I'll back up a little bit. So it's motivation, right. ability, and prompt and when those three things come together, you do a behavior by definition. And so that's my behavior model. Now, if any one of those things is missing, then you don't do the behavior. So let's say uh, you don't get prompted or reminded to do something, even though you're motivated and you can, you don't do it, for example. And a uh, true confession here and talking with you, Elaine, I was motivated about 30 minutes to t- ago to talk with you. I could have However, nothing popped up on my screen and said, log in and talk to Elaine, right? right. So that's an example where the behavior did not happen because I had my phone turned on silent mode and I didn't have the calendar reminder popping up. Uh, so, so,
0: so can I ask you a question? Is the prompt always external or is the prompt no. sometimes internal?
1: Oh wow, how deep do we want to go? There are three sources of prompts. One, okay. could be you just remind yourself you happen to remember. Another would be an external thing, like an alarm or a reminder or my colleague saying, hey, BJ, you know, you got to get online and talk to Elaine. Or uh, the prompt, and this is where tiny habits, the method comes in. You can uh, have one of your existing routines remind you to do something.
0: Yes, we call it pairing, but okay.
1: (laughs) There we go. And so, for example, uh, after you brush, brushing can be the reminder to floss. Okay, so you really have three approaches to prompts, and any of them can work. Some are better than others in different situations, um, but uh, that's, that's the model. It comes back to those same things, motivation, ability, and prompt, and that's for any behavior. That's a universal model for any behavior in any culture, um, and good habits, bad habits, what have you. It applies to everything.
0: So what happens in our audience is you've got kids who struggle with challenges of executive function and adults, um, which means they struggle with motivation. And that probably one of the number one questions we get from parents is how do I motivate my child to fill in the blank? Yeah. Because the kids have a lagging or some deficit in, in connecting to motivation. Yeah. So will it still work?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'm not going to be an expert. Uh, um, I don't work with kids, so and yep, let me okay. explain it conceptually. Um, if a behavior is really easy to do, really small, really tiny, it doesn't take much motivation to do it. And this is this, that insight, looking at my own graphical model, helped me see that if something is really, really, really simple, then your motivation doesn't have to be high. It could be low, and you'll still do it if there's a prompt. So if the behavior is very small, or at least seems very small, then you don't have to worry about high levels of motivation. So that's one way uh, you can get the behavior to happen. The flip side is you prompt the behavior when there is motivation. Our motivation goes up and down over time. It's not a stable construct, it fluctuates. And so part of getting helping people do stuff, I was gonna say be getting people to do stuff, but that's kind of the reality is to prompt them at a time when they have enough motivation to do it. So it's a timing issue. So there's a few directions you can go. I'll back up a little bit. One is to make it really easy to do. The other is to time your prompt, your reminder, your cue, whatever you want to call it, at a moment when there is sufficient motivation.
0: Okay. I love it. Anything else on that? So motivation, it's either it's got to be easy or the prompt has got to be well-timed.
1: Yes. Now, but then, then there's the one, and I think you're headed this way with me. Up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what if they absolutely do not, they don't want to clean up their room. They don't want to brush the, like motivation is zero. Right. That is, that's really sort of uh, the last uh, resort. I mean, ideally you're helping people do what they already want to do or at least part of them wants to do it, or there's a moment in their day or life when they do want to do it. If the motivation's absolutely zero, and it is always zero, uh, the way you would approach it from a product design perspective, and this may not relate to parents very well, uh, but I work with a lot of people creating products and services, you can't get people to do stuff reliably they don't want to do. So you pick a different behavior. You find a behavior that they do want to do. Um, and you help them succeed on something they want to do, and you trust the change process over time. So, if somebody doesn't want to eat spinach, for example. Uh, sure, you can bribe them into it, you can scare them into it, you can force them, but that's not going to lead to long-term eating of spinach or loving spinach. So, you start them where they want to start.
0: Meatballs.
1: Um, sorry. Meatballs. It putting spinach in meatballs. meatballs, right? <laughs> you know, I, um, and I don't know if meatballs then gets people to spinach, but it might. Right. But, but, you know, think about, I mean, if your aspiration as a parent is, I want my kid to eat healthy produce, find the produce they already like and start them there and help them feel successful. Yes. Trust that the process, that the, their repertoire, their taste will expand over time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we used to talk about it as growing taste buds. <laughs> right? But what I love about what you're saying is it's, it, that's that, that pairing or connecting to something that's already there, giving them, you know, so if you want them to take their medication and they're already brushing their teeth and they're motivated to take their medication, they just forget. Yeah. And I mean, I've had people literally draw, tie a rubber around around the medication and the toothbrush.
1: Perfect. I love that. I mean, right? that, that, that's... You know, that's right on. And what's interesting about that technique is you're not relying on a post-it note or an alarm. You can get blind to post-it notes. Alarms can be annoying if they're poorly timed and you're not relying on somebody just happening to remember. Right. Bundling so it together with their existing routine, which of the three approaches to prompts, I think is the best approach. It's absolutely the best. It's a little harder for people to learn how to do. Mm-hmm. But once you learn it, once you learn how to design for it, it's not. It, it can expand and expand and expand in your life. You can keep using those new routines to then be prompts or reminders for something else. And so you never really run out of real estate or opportunity using that approach.
0: Okay. So behaviors happen when there is a combination of these three. We've talked a little bit about motivation. We've talked about prompts. And, you know, we do a lot of work on motivation because there are certain things that do motivate the ADHD brain and certain things that don't. And so we would sort of take those existing motivators like um, play or interest or novelty or competition and sort of blend it with this notion of is it easy to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it means they have, it has to be easy for them. Right. Yeah. Not just we think it's easy. Why can't they just put their paper in their backpack? Yeah. That seems easy to us, but it may not seem so easy to a child at that moment. Right. So is it easy? And timing that prompt or cue is motivation. And we've talked about the different kinds of prompts. Where does ability come in?
1: Well, ability, you know, it's, it's about making it easy. So things uh, and it's often it's the perception of how easy or hard it is. And if something seems hard, then it takes a lot of motivation to get us to do it or at least begin to do it. Uh, One of the things I have, and you can see this, but people listening will not. I have this little timer. I play around with timers all the time. Like, there's like, I have to review this legal licensing agreement that somebody's licensing my stuff, and I'm like, ah, it's going to be hard to do. And so, if things seem hard, you procrastinate or you don't do it. So what I've learned to do with myself, and I'm sure parents and others have done this, is I have this little timer and I set the timer for like five minutes. And it's like, okay, BJ, just work on it for five minutes. And if you want to stop after five minutes, you're done. So I turn the timer like this and it starts counting down. Right. And, you know, I was kind of tricking myself, but I know that once I get into it, this will go off in five minutes and I'll be like, oh, I'll just keep going.
0: You'll just miss it. Right.
1: Yeah, So, and I'm sure this is familiar to you and to people listening. If you can just get people started, then the task, once you start, the task then seems easier to do and you keep going. So so, um, part of it is how do you make the task simpler or seem simpler in order to get somebody started on it?
0: Well, and what you're speaking to in our realm we would talk about in terms of activation. So one of the areas of executive function that is – Challenged in kids with A- or people with ADHD um, is this ability to get started activating into action is one of the largest areas and so on one level, just helping people see the problem isn't that they're not doing their math yeah. the problem is that they can't get started doing their math right and so any any other tidbits on helping well, people get I mean, started
1: this is in what you're describing uh, for these kids it's true for other kids i'm sure and for adults. Right, so of course. It's, it's human nature in some ways. Um, right. But the ability, like in my case, and when I train people in my tiny habits method, the ability to design a way to get started is a skill. Ooh. And to a big extent, uh, helping yourself or helping others change behavior is a skill. And there's a systematic way to think about it. And it sounds like you have some language around that. And, it, and the way I'm thinking about it meshes with uh, how you've talked about it. So you know it's a system. and You don't have to just guess. In the behavior design approach, I call my work broadly behavior design. Yes, there's those three components. Motivation, ability, prompt. All of them have to be present for the behavior to happen. And this also is for bad behaviors. If a bad behavior is happening you don't want, how do you remove one of those? But it also applies to troubleshooting. If there's a behavior you want to happen and it's not happening, there's a troubleshooting order. And I think this, uh, I don't just think this, I know this is really helpful to parents. Uh, I don't train parents as parents per se, but they come to me and work in a professional setting. Right. Then they report back, oh my gosh, this has helped so much with my kids and husband and whatnot. Um, But the troubleshooting of orders is this. If there's a behavior like um, taking vitamins that's not happening and you want it to happen, first you say, is there a prompt? Is there a prompt, a reminder for it? And if not, make sure there's a prompt.
0: Mm -hmm. If
1: the person is being prompted and it's not happening, the next thing you look at is not motivation, but it's ability. How do I make it easier to do? or at least seem easier to do to get started, okay?
0: Okay, or seem easier, that's key. Yeah,
1: seem easier, kind of key there. Now, in most cases, that should solve the problem if it's a behavior they want to do. Uh, If it doesn't, then you're working in the world of motivation, but you don't start with trying to troubleshoot motivation. It's prompt first, then make it really easy to do, and then if it's not happening, you have to mess around with motivation. And there's three different ways of doing that um, at least in my models, one way is to reframe uh, or to frame the behavior in terms of what that person already wants. So let's go right.
0: Down. Exactly. We ask the question, what's in it for them, right? Yeah.
1: Right. So let's go to spinach. You know, they don't, I don't think, at least I like spinach now, but as a kid, I wouldn't wake up and think, oh, I want spinach. But nope. it was it was framed in terms of being competent at soccer or doing better in school, you know, right. so you position it in that you way. You
0: had the Popeye syndrome,
1: right? Yeah. Okay. So that's really the best way the the less optimal ways uh are attaching a reward uh, you know a benefit or a punishment to the behavior uh that that works and that's fine but it's i don't think as powerful and it doesn't create the habit as much as i'm doing this so i can be great at soccer or do better at right. you know? but it is an option where you um and some people call that extrinsic motivation. I don't use intrinsic and extrinsic as terms, but it would map to that. And well, and I do
0: want to. I just want to interject that in in ADD land, um, punishment has also been proven not to be particularly effective. So, attaching reward and benefit can be really helpful for these kids, um, but they work for a carrot much better than for a stick. Yeah,
1: I, I am so happy to hear that because yeah, uh, in uh. People just assume they have to go for the punishment thing. Rather, it's than
0: so true, and it just doesn't with, work.
1: No. With, no, not in the long term. It's just even you know, it's 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 degrading, and there's just a lot of reasons. the, the third way, and we mentioned this yep. before, is you uh you change the context, so the context makes it motivating to do the behavior. So let's say the kids with all his classmates eating spinach. And maybe he or she really doesn't want to eat spinach, but everybody else is. So the context has shifted, uh, and so sometimes redesigning the context you can make uh, behavior motivating to do.
0: So the, I, I heard a little positive peer pressure in there, but can you so can you give another example besides kids with
1: peers? Yeah. Um, let's say uh, I mean the, this the contextual motivation is quite broad. I, I actually call it motivation wave. And the motivation wave can be created by a change in your social environment. It can be created by watching World Cup soccer on TV and you get excited about being healthy. It can be created by a news story about a celebrity getting cancer. It can be created by a natural disaster and so on. So it's these contextual factors around us that doesn't change what we want in our hearts necessarily. And it's not like a benefit or a, a punishment It's something's changed around us. And at least for that moment, as long as that context uh, remains, you're motivated to do it. Now, the problem with this motivation wave or the contextual motivation is our context, our contexts change a lot. Yeah. So it's not always there. And so that's why when I looked at this phenomenon, I decided to call it motivation wave. Uh, helping hopefully imply that it goes up, but it's also going to come down. down. Mm -hmm. That's where the timing of the prompt matters so much. You've got to prompt when the wave is high and not when it's low.
0: So the the example that's coming up to me is a teacher in a classroom who may be using Jeopardy as an entertainment kind of factor to engage kids in learning. And then when it goes on too long and it's gotten boring, where they're just done with it, you sort of, they lose the momentum because they didn't know when to stop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great example.
0: Great. Yeah. So we are, we're a little over time, but we're good. So um, I want to take a minute and let people know how to find out more about you. Where can they, where can they learn more about your methods? and, and
1: Yeah. Well, you could just start online going to bjfog.com.
0: And that's Fog with two G's. Yeah,
1: F-O-G-G or just type Fog into Google. F-O-G-G. You'll find me. Or more specifically, you could go to tinyhabits.com or just type tiny habits into Google. And uh, I've got a bunch of videos online and there's a tiny habits method people can learn. And then there's ways people can train with me, but not to be better parents. I mean, I don't, I don't do the you know, direct training uh, with parents, but people will come uh, work with me for professional projects. And along, and, the find way, it. Yeah. and along the way, they'll. Look, I mean, behavior is behavior, whether it's right. trying somebody to save money or trying to get your kid to pick up the room. It all comes back. It's all behavior.
0: Exactly. Well, and, and in full disclosure, part of the reason I invited you to join us is because the method that we teach, sanity school, which comes from the coaching approach, so mirrors so much of what you're talking about. Everything you've yeah. mentioned, we teach, just not in the construct and I love the construct that you've given it. So, um, So hopefully parents who are looking for that support for their families will know that they can get that here. Well,
1: well, keep up the good work. And parents listening to this, don't give up. Nobody's perfect in doing this, even changing your own behavior. Nobody's perfect. But do think about it systematically. You don't have to guess which thing to try. There is a system and just follow the system. Not everything will work. You go to the next step in the system. And that's how to think
0: about it. And a lot of what, what we've learned is that any success is going to breed more success because oh, when yeah. you try anything and you try or try something and once you start getting these little tiny successes, they breed more success, yep. right? Kids are going to be more engaged to try, and so will adults.
1: Yeah, and so I'll just maybe end over time and with this. So one of my yeah. max—I have three maxims. One of them for lasting change is to help people feel successful. Yes. Bam. Okay. So like bog maxim number two, and so that's really what. We're doing with customers, with members, with kids, with my students, and with ourselves. If people feel successful, their identity changes, and their willingness, and their ability to continue to change increases.
0: Okay. So, I want to know your three maxims. You can't leave me hanging there.
1: (laughs) Number one, help people do what they already want to do. Great. Tap into that motivation they already have. Number two, help people feel successful. And the third one's worded a little bit differently, but it's important. It's simplicity changes behavior. I love it. Remembering that you know, the power of simplicity.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: And thank you so much.
0: It's a Keep pleasure. Good work. Thank you. Our guest today, everybody, has been Dr. B.J. Fogg from Stanford University, who is a masterful change agent and and really encouraging us today to talk about how we can make big changes with big, big, address big problems by by tackling tiny changes. You can find out more about him at bjfogg.com or at tinyhabits.com. And of course, you can find more resources about parenting complex kids in all different ways on impactadhd.com. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the work you're doing for yourselves and your kids and making a difference in the world every day by making these little changes in your family's lives. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Take care, everyone.